and into the presence of God. You know, you have to carry this with you wherever you go. You have that opportunity. A lot of people don't do it. But you can take God with you everywhere you go. But you have to develop that relationship with him. It takes time. It takes effort. And it takes sacrifice. Most of all, it takes sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice yourself. You have to be willing to sacrifice your own will, which in itself is, is a hard thing to do, especially us in the Western Hemisphere. We think we know it all. We think we're better than anything. But God is almighty. Brother Pierce said this morning that God is sovereign. He is sovereign. Amen. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Before we get into today's message, which is about compromise has consequences. Compromise has consequences. You'll find online, and it's been there for years and years and years. You can find this thing in a PDF form. It's a sermon by Albert Finney, written in the 1700s. It's called Sinners at the Hands of an Angry God. And I think every one of you needs to read that. Sinners at the Hands of an Angry God. He started a great awakening. It was about a three-hour sermon. The one I wrote today is only about two hours and 30 minutes. I'm trying to get that three hours up, but uh, I have trouble. They keep singing and taking up my time. <laughs> so thank her. No. But they was it is a very good it is a very good read the language is a little hard because it was written in the 1700s so some of the words are you'll have to figure out what he's saying but uh, it is a it is an outstanding read sinners at the hands of an angry God it lets you know some things into perspective I mean people think that that Christians shouldn't get mad. They think that Jesus never got angry. In the book of John, Jesus went to the temple and he turned over the money tables. And he did it twice in the, in the scriptures. There's two different accounts. In the one account, he took out a whip and he whipped them. He whipped them. You don't have to settle. Or just anything. You are God's children. Amen. You know, Scripture says that He chose you. Amen. You did not choose Him, but He chose you. Amen. He picked you out. Amen. 
He looked down and he said, I want that fat bald guy. <laughs> the one with the Irish temper and the stubborn Germans. I want him. In Deuteronomy 5.32 it says, Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. I mean, stay on the straight and narrow. Stay on the path that God has put you on. You may not like everything God has. And some of the results of things that the situations you're in is because you put yourself there. But now you've surrendered it to God, so let him handle it. In Psalm 119, verse 3, it says, They do not compromise with evil. They walk only in his paths. Talking about the righteous people of God. They don't compromise with evil. But I have to say this, every one of us in this place has compromised with evil at one time or another. We have. But it's time to move on. Compromise has consequences. I mean, you compromise certain things. You may go to your boss and say, hey, I need a big raise. The boss says, well, I'm not ready to give you a big raise, but I'm not... I won't give you a little one either. I'll meet you somewhere in the middle. And you compromise, and that's okay. You may have an argument with your spouse. How come you keep leaving the cap off the toothpaste? (laughs) (laughs) The next time you do it, I'm going to feed you the toothpaste. And your mate decides, well, better to put the cap on than eat it. So they do. But there are those little compromises that you have to make along the way, but they seem to work good for both both sides. But in other matters, compromise is not good at all. The Bible makes it very, very clear that God does not con- condone compromising his commands. If he says you are to live holy, you are to live holy. If he says you are to tithe 10% of your income, you are to tithe 10% of your income. If he says you are to share the gospel message, you are to share the gospel message. It doesn't matter. Whatever God commands, he doesn't change. The ones that change is us. We're the ones that are weak. We're the ones that listen to the ways of the world. I mean, there's people going out there saying, oh, God is so merciful. God is so loving. He would never send anybody to hell. The Bible doesn't say that anywhere. But yet people believe it. Why? Because they don't want to believe the hard things of God. They don't want to believe what God says. You know, Jesus told us, the gate is narrow. 
He told you it's narrow for a reason. He wanted to warn you. Don't think just because you call yourself a Christian, you're going to heaven. Like Brother Chris said, he wants to see everybody in heaven. So do I. That's our mission here. And it's so distraught and it's so hard to know there's people in every single church everywhere around the world that will not go. Barna says 80% of the people in church are not saved. And I believe them. Why? Because they compromise. There was a thing years ago Oprah Winfrey was telling everybody they're going to be their own gods. Oh, you're all going to be your own gods. Just, just, just enjoy it. Where did she get that first book of Oprah? I mean, I don't know. But people swallowed it up. God is holy. And his ways are right. God is good. His ways are life-giving. Concerning matters that God has clearly addressed, we do not negotiate, we do not bargain, and we do not compromise. I mean, God said, I'm building a mansion for you in heaven. In the new Jerusalem, you're going to have a message, a mansion. He tells you that. He's preparing it for you. But you have to be willing to go there. I mean, you cannot live outside of God's will and expect to have a covenant with him. You cannot live in sin and expect that God's okay with it, no matter what the world teaches you. The world has made Christians soft, but that's just the way the enemy works. I mean, he had to be very subtle. He had to be very enticing, or he would have never got Eve to swallow up his, his lie. So we know he's deceptive. We know he can do things. We just have to be on guard. There are people that go out there and boldly proclaim the word of God. Sometimes they're overbearing. Sometimes they're hard. Paul was hard. You think Paul would walk into a church and half the churches he would walk into he would probably just throw up and leave because he wouldn't be able to believe what he's hearing. But at least God didn't send Peter because he'd probably whack your ear off. You know, so you have people with strong convictions. They're going to go out and they're going to pour and they're going to push, and they're going to proclaim their, the agenda of God. People get their feelings hurt along the way. It's just the way it is. That's just how they are. But then you've got to get these others, on the other hand, that just ooze with love and compassion. Oh, everything's wonderful. God is great. God's not going to do anything wrong. Oh, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. They're the ones that compromise the scriptures. 
because they have to, to get it to where they believe, to their own theology. That's where the errors come in. I mean, that's why you have things like seeker-friendly churches. You have prosperity gospel churches. And you have churches where the, the preacher just speaks so softly. You walk out of there and go, what was the message? <laughs> yeah. There's people that go to church, they want to hear a feel-good message. Feel-good message is fine, but is it going to keep you out of hell? Probably not. Is the prosperity gospel going to keep you out? I mean, you just got to love those guys. You see them on television. Here, let me do it. Today. I need each of you to get out your checkbooks. Come on, get them out. Write me a check for a thousand dollars. And in 10 weeks, God's going to multiply that 10 times. Now, if you haven't heard that yet, you will, but that's prosperity. They're going to tell you that you just got to keep giving to them. The only one that's going to get an airplane out of that is them. God blesses us as we need it, as we require it. Scripture says he will supply all our needs. Amen. All our needs. It doesn't say anywhere. He's going to supply all your wants. Because let's go. I mean, all of us could drive God crazy with a wish list. Oh, Lord, I need that new car. I need some designer clothes. I need a bigger house. I need a maid to take care of the bigger house. You know, I mean, you could just keep right on going and going and going. But when times are tough, God's right there for you. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And he doesn't. We're the ones that leave. We're the ones that forsake because the minute we get ourselves in a tough situation, we go make a compromise somewhere and we're out of God's will. We're out of God's covenant. I made a covenant with God. I told him if he took me out of the darkness I was living in, I would serve him for the rest of my life. Now that life may end in two seconds, but whenever it does, I've lived up to my agreement. I've lived up to my covenant with God. And we have to do that. Compromise with the world. I mean, there's no doctrine for that. It becomes hard. It's disastrous. Compromise with the world is a danger. I mean, it's even a danger for the strongest of believers. Because the enemy has attacked every one of the strong believers. He just has to be a little more cunning, a little more subtle, dangle a few different carrots in front of you. Ones that he know will hit your buttons, ones that'll twist you a little bit, ones that'll get you excited and then it goes. But like I said before, John writes it down, he says, you did, 
You did not choose me, these are God's words, but I choose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. In other words, your fruit is going to last. And whatever you ask in my Father's name, he will give to you. Why? Because you're bearing fruit. You're living in covenant with God. Bearing fruit. How many of you can say you're bearing fruit? You're sharing the gospel. That's fruit. You're lifting up one another. That's fruit. But we know compromise is not good. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Jehoshaphat. Now you're going to find Jehoshaphat's story in 2 Chronicles. It's the one I used. There's some of it in Kings. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, starting at verse 3, this is how they describe Jehoshaphat. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. Not meaning David was his father, but meaning he was down the line of David. He was in that lineage. He did not seek the Baals, which were the pagans, and their worship and their gods, but he sought the God of his father, and he walked in his commandments and according to the acts, and not according to the acts of Israel. Now understand at this time, Judea and Israel were two separate kingdoms. Jehoshaphat was a king of Judea. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and all of Judea gave him presents to Jehoshaphat, and he had riches and honor in abundance. And his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and the wooden images from Judea. He took down everything that was part of pagan worship. He destroyed it all. Clearly, Jehoshaphat was a godly man. He sought the Lord. He walked in the commandments. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord, and he removed the idols from the land. He even sent out teachers to teach people, like we would send out missionaries to spread the word of God. He had prophets rebuke him because Jehoshaphat did one compromising thing. He made an alliance with Ahab. And we all know about Ahab. But when he was rebuked, he accepted it. He prayed and he moved on. In chapter 20 it says, we see his heart as the nation is threatened with a vast army what does Jehoshaphat do? He calls all the people of the nation to fast and to pray. We've had a couple instances where governors have called people to fast and to pray. We've called the church to fast and to pray. But this is what he did. This is how much of a believer. He wasn't your average run-of-the-mill believer. He was he was really pursuing. He was a man of strong faith, open godliness, who courageously brought reform to the nation. When you're bold and you're standing out in the ways of the Lord, you will come up against 
objection. People will condemn you. They will make fun of you. I mean, Peter goes as far as to say we're peculiar. Well, that's the way the world looks at you, like you're some kind of wacko. So you compromise, so you slide in with the world rather than be called peculiar. You'd rather be saying, oh, we're not inviting that person over to the house. They're wackos, they're Christians. They're gonna want us to pray. Oh, they might talk about Jesus. We can't have them at the house. Who cares? You're not supposed to hang out with those kind of people anyway. Amen. You're not. You're not supposed to hang out with believers that aren't on the same level as you are. Amen. If you're moving up and they're not, you leave them behind and keep moving up. Because that's the way God wants it. But compromising with the world, it comes on very subtly. The enemy is smart. The first thing we read about is Jehoshaphat, how he, he wanted to strengthen his relationship with Israel. A nation that he shouldn't have been strengthening with. But what he does is he allows his son to marry Ahab's daughter. Now Ahab is pursuing this because Ahab has his own agenda. I mean, if he attacked Jehoshaphat the way it is right now, he would get slaughtered. Judea would just wipe out Israel and there'd be no more. So he decides the only way to do that is make an alliance with Jehoshaphat. And the way to do that is sending his charming little daughter <laughs> over to marry Jehoshaphat's son. So that's what they do. They go and do that. Jehoshaphat says, I am as you are, and my people are your people, and we will be with you in battle because Ahab wants them to join him in battle. This is like you take a prize fighter, and you have this big boxing match come on. Manny Pacquiao's person, whoever. And the whoever guy invites Manny to dinner. Now Manny's a highly favored boxer. He's gonna win the title fight. But they go to dinner. And this other boxer just slips some poison in his coffee and Manny's dead. That's just what Ahab's plan was. Let me bring Jehoshaphat in, and then I'm going to kill him off, and I'm going to take over. That was his plan. Jehoshaphat, he's compromised with Ahab because he figured the other way. I got all this stuff. We'll go over there. I'll make them think I'm on his side, and then we'll overthrow them. So the moving goes on, and they continue to go. Ahab thought the alliance was strong. Jehoshaphat was a nice guy. He was easy to get around. I mean, there's an old saying, nice guys finish last. But the thing is, you're all believers in Jesus Christ. You're all supposed to know Jesus' word. 
You're all supposed to know the word of God. Amen. You're all supposed to have some kind of discernment. Amen. You know, how many times have you seen one good friend take down another one? Because of their selfishness and their and their greed or whatever the reason is. You've seen it happen. You saw it happen when you were in school. You've seen it happen everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, grade school, oh, this is my best friend, my best friend. The next day you're punching each other out. Because <laughs> your best friend went home and said, did something wrong, went home and blamed it all on you. I mean, deceit. God teaches us to be aware of this stuff, to be looking for it. But as, as Jehoshaphat gave his son to Ahab's daughter, and of course you can read and you'll learn who the mothers are, and Jezebel comes in there and all these other people. But Ahab, now that he has a relationship, now he says to Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, I need you to come up. We need to go to war against Ramoth Gilgad. Gilam. We have to go up and take This is a strong, strong city. Well fortified. Ahab wouldn't have stood a chance against it. But now that he has the mighty army of Jehoshaphat with him, he can go up and he's pretty sure victory is going to come. So what it says, Second Chronicles 18. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judea, went up to Ramoth Gilad. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle. But you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. The king of Syria had commanded the captain of the chariots who were with him, he said, fight no one small or great, but only the king of Israel. This is all that captain of at once. It's like Syria now. So it was when they captured the chariots, saw Jehoshaphat, and they said, it is the king of Israel. Why? Because he had, him, had his robes on. Therefore they surrounded him in that town. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him, and God diverted them. They were ready to kill him. Ahab set him up. Ahab put him in a costume and said, here, you put on the kingly robes, and I'll disguise myself. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw this, and they saw it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Now a certain man drew an arrow and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And so the driver of his chariot said, turn around and take me into battle, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up on the chariot facing the Syrians, and until evening, and about time of sunset, he died. But look how easy Jehoshaphat was ensnared in that whole thing. How easily he was deceived. How easily his thought pattern was, you know, I'm going to try to blend together with this guy, put our countries together, do great things. He didn't consult the Lord. 
He didn't have the Lord in his hide, and he just went in there and did it, and he nearly got himself killed. And sometimes the compromises you make are close enough to get you killed. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Amen. And you really got to be careful of that. That's how Satan ensnares believers. He's not up front about the disastrous results that are going to happen. I mean, let's look at it this way. Satan goes up to a young woman and he says, how would you like to marry this drunken bum who will abuse you and your children and make your life a living hell? You're going to raise your hand and say, oh, I'll go for that. You're going to say, no way, man, no way, Satan, put up your duty. I'm going to war with you. You ain't doing that to me. Amen. But no, Satan comes in and says, hey, I got this really nice man. He's going to treat you right. He's just what you've always wanted. He has riches beyond belief. With one exception, he's not a committed Christian. There's trouble right there. He attends church. And he promises to let you raise your kids Christian. That's trouble. Scripture tells us that. Satan doesn't walk up to you with a pitchfork in his hand. One of those diabolical grins, you know, with a little tail sticking out with a fork on it. The horns going up. I mean, he's not that easy to identify. And he doesn't say, how would you like to become a drunk? Or a dope addict. He doesn't say that to you. He tells you, hey, if you do that, he doesn't say, hey, you're going to become a thief, a liar, a prostitute, so you can just support your habit. You'll ruin your health. You won't be able to hold it on a job. You'll shred every relationship with your family. You want to sign up for that? Satan doesn't do that. Instead, he says, hey, you need to relax. You need to feel good. You're under a lot of pressure. All your friends are doing it. Don't spoil the fun. Smoke a joint. Pop a pill. Have a drink. And then he instead. He doesn't come up to you and say, hey, how would you like an STD? How would you like to have a baby out of wedlock? Or maybe kill one through abortion? How would you like to destroy two families by committing adultery? Rather, he says, sex is exciting. You're in love. How can it be wrong? It feels so right. That's how godly people get lured into compromise with the world, through subtlety. Satan is a liar. He's deceitful. He wants you to compromise. You have to stay strong. It's up to you. That's why we have groups. That's why some of these people have accountability partners. They have people calling each other every day just to support one another and say, hey, how was your day? How was this? How was that? You know, and they pray for one another and they do all this. 
Why? Because it keeps them in God's good graces. Amen. It keeps that covenant that they've made with God alive. Because none of us can stand on our own. We can't. We're weak. We're human. We need strength. We need one another. I'll be honest with you, this prayer group that we have in the mornings, everyone there makes a sacrifice to come in here. They sacrifice. They sacrifice sleep. They sacrifice their time. But they come. And yet we, we pray for one another. We encourage one another. And we try to strengthen one another. Amen. Why? Because it's needed. Satan is going to get in wherever he can. He brings people into a church to split it and divide it. That's why he sends them. You have to be strong. You have to understand these things. You have to watch out for the subtlety. I mean, Ahab went after Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat got sucked in deeper and deeper to what he was putting on a king's robe and standing in battle knowing full well that he was the target. They had, a, they had a prophet, a prophet named Micaiah. Now Micaiah prophesied over Ahab, because Ahab called in all these prophets. He had 400. But these 400 prophets were all yes people. Yes, yes, yes. Whatever Ahab wanted, they said, yes, that's a wonderful idea. You're great. You're going to make it. It's going to be a wonderful battle. You're going to be victorious. Mm -hmm. Micaiah comes in and says, you're going to get slaughtered. You're going to die. He threw him in prison. Yes, people. You've got to watch out. Jehoshaphat learned. He learned. That Ahab, and he learns that people aren't always what they seem. I mean, some of you go to businesses because it says Christian-run business. Yet the people running it charge you three times more than the guy next door who says this, this place is run by sinners. You know, you have to be careful. Not everybody that puts a label on themselves is who that label says they are. I mean, I can tell you my name is Dr. Lyle, and I'm a neurosurgeon. <laughs> you want to go for that? <laughs> be careful. Be aware. Be awake. What does Peter tell us? He tells us to be sober, be vigilant. What's he saying? Keep your eyes open. Yeah. Keep your eyes open. People are out to seek, kill, and destroy. That's their job. These little minion demons are out there to do that. They want nothing better to run home to Daddy Deckles. Oh, I killed her good. I got her. Oh. They want to report that. That's what they're up for. Run away from the world. Who cares? You don't have to live in it. You don't have to conform to it. 
You're not a citizen of the world. You're a citizen of heaven. Amen. You, when you surrendered your life to Christ and said, Jesus is my Savior, that's part one. Part one. Part two is Jesus is my Lord. That's the part that a lot of people have a problem with. Because when you make Jesus your Lord, that means you surrender your will to his. You quit listening to yourself. You start listening to him. That takes everybody with an ego and just kind of stomps on your ego. Because he won't put up with it. God doesn't do those things. So Jehoshaphat learned through the subtlety of the world. And we have to learn. Some of us get involved in wrong marriages. Some of you were married in the Philippines. Philippines doesn't have divorce. What does that mean? That means you're still married. Oh, no, now you have to get an annulment. But the Bible makes it clear that it is a sin for a believer to enter a marriage with an unbeliever. There's nothing you can do about yesterday going forward. Do not be bound together with an unbeliever. That's in any relationship. Amen. Business relationship. You don't want an unbeliever and a Christian trying to run a business together. Can you imagine what a conflict that would be? The Christian's always trying to do good customer service and keep the customer satisfied. The other one's what? I want all their money. Just give me their money. It's never going to work. We get into the wrong social relationships. This is what a lot of people have problems with. Because they think, oh, that's a really nice person. I get along with them. You develop this relationship and stuff like that. Then you find out they're true colleagues. Mm -hmm. Now you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. All this stuff gets involved and it gets messy. I mean, Jehoshaphat fell for Ahab's hospitality. Ahab was so great to him. I mean, he laid out more food than you could ever imagine. He laid out a spread. Anything Jehoshaphat wanted, he gave him. He took really good care of Jehoshaphat. He was trying to bring him in. But it wasn't the right relationship. One was a believer, one was not. And you can't do it. Paul tells us, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Amen. I mean, it's much easier for a sinner to take down a good Christian than it is for a, a good Christian to raise that sinner up in Christ. It's a lot different battle. It's hard. We have three groups, three Bible studies. Their job is discipleship. they got to disciple the people. Some people are on certain levels. Others are not. You know, eventually it'd be nice to have their groups raising people by their level they're in so they can grow them and stuff like that and get them stronger. But it has nothing to do with the fruit. You you learn the scripture, but now you've got to go out and produce fruit. Fruit. Fruit is so easy. You go into a grocery store, then you're watching the manager yell at a cashier. You know, and then it's your turn at the register, and you just say, don't worry about that. Have a nice day. Be blessed. You know, just nice little words to people. 
Be kind. Be loving. Pour out the fruit. But don't be deceived. Second Chronicles 19, 2 says, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Now many Christians would answer, of course we should. But you better read that scripture a little better. Psalm 139 says, in Psalm 5, 5, it says we should. It says God hates the wicked. He does. He absolutely hates wicked. Amen. He hates wickedness. He hates wicked people. Doesn't mean you can't convert them. But they're not living in the in the realm of God. Doesn't God love everyone? And aren't we supposed to love the sinner and hate the sin? Well, the Bible says a little bit more cautious and a little bit more discerning. Jude writes, have mercy with fear, hating the garment polluted by the flesh. You should form primary friendships with unbelievers. Your closest friends should be those who share the same values and the same goals you have. They should be. Your best friends should be that way. There's people you're going to work with. There's people you're going to know. There's people you're going to be talking to. Just remember, be aware, be awake, be sober, be vigilant, because the enemy wants to attack you. Everyone in this church is growing in Christ. They're growing, and they're growing in Christ. And the closer, some of you, the devil doesn't know your name yet. But others, he does. You know, it's just like, I cast you out in the name of Jesus, and the devil said, Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, but who are you? Well, there's going to come a time when he's going to know who you are. And when he knows who you are, the warfare that you're involved in is going to intensify. It just will. But God will arm you for that. You put on the full armor of God as you go out every day. Let God protect you. It is all about God. Jesus says, the world should know us by our disciples, our love, our unity. We need to bury some of our doctrinal differences and proclaim unity and common ground. But love that compromises carnal truth is not biblical love. If you have to compromise God's word to get where you are, then it's not biblical. It's worldly. And you have compromised to make the world who you are rather than who God has made you. Like I said before, if Paul were looking for a pastorate today, if Paul came in and said to certain churches, I want to be your pastor, there's some he would just walk out of because they're just not there. is awesome. God is loving. God wants every one of you in heaven. But there's no shortcuts. There's no easy way. Like I said before, Jesus didn't tell you the gate was narrow. 
because it's wide open and everybody's getting in. No. You have to know who he is. You have to be careful. Amen. Hebrews 12, 14. And I think Chris Goodwin went over this this morning. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. You're not pursuing holiness. You're not going to see God. John 4, 23, 24. You all know this. But the hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is a spirit and those that worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Amen. Biblical truth, not worldly truth. Amen. Matthew 6, 33, we all know this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added to you. My aim is to walk with God, to follow the word of truth, but to help you do the same. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to give it to you, love and blah, 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 blah. No kumbaya. I mean, this world could end in 30 seconds. It could, end, it could end right now. The rapture could come right now. Because Jesus is coming back. And if the rapture comes right now, how many of you are going to be left sitting here? When we go meet Jesus in the sky. reveal himself to you. Spend a little more time in his word. A little more time praying. Find yourself a prayer closet. Make yourself a prayer closet. Make yourself an area where you can just go in and surrender to him. Get out of the distractions. The altars are open this morning. I know we opened up before. We want to open them once again. We don't want anybody leaving here with a heavy heart. If there's something you need to surrender it to God, you know, just come down and do it. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look at you funny. But don't be ashamed of what Jesus Christ is. Because if you're ashamed of who he is, He's going to be ashamed of you and his father. So just come down and surrender it to him. There is no 